And this is Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. You are with Lyle and Joelle. And we are about to launch into our Bible study for today. As we do, we're going to be talking about the gospel today. We're actually talking about Daniel 7 Mm -hmm. and the Antichrist and the little horn. And the question that comes up is, how important is it to know this kind of stuff? And this was a question that we were having, you know, here in this a discussion we we're having in the studio yesterday. You know, is this is this kind of stuff at what level is it essential to our salvation? At what level is it essential to know who the Antichrist is for our relationship with God? And it's a question that I often hear from some sectors of Christianity where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm a pan millennialist. You know, you ever come across a pan? I've never heard of that. You've never heard of it. You've never heard. Okay, I had never heard of a pan millennialist either until I met one. Oh, really? So uh-huh. what, it, so what is it? And, or- and so and so, I, I asked him that exact question. What is a pan millennialist? He's like, don't worry, just love God. It'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> and I was like, that's the biggest cop out I've ever come across. But anyway, okay. So, Joel, how important is the gospel? To Christianity. Important. Yeah, that's probably the... <laughs> this, is, this is Joel making the understatement of the year. <laughs> important. On, on a scale of importance of 1 to 10, where would you place the gospel? 10? Yeah, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. Okay, are there things in the Bible that are of less importance than the gospel? Maybe there are. I look at the Bible this way. Everything is important. Mm -hmm. Every word of God the Bible said is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what the Bible says. Mm And so to say that there is anything in the Bible is like, well, that's not really important to understand, is to cast aspersions on the character of God. It's like, God, hey, you gave us this book right here, um, but you kind of wasted your time writing some of this stuff down because we really don't really need it. And I it's, think many people think that. Yes. And it speaks about our attitude towards God and our attitude towards the Bible and how seriously we take God and how seriously we take His Love letter mm-hmm. to us. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to we're going to talk about the gospel because I think any Christian is going to place the gospel at number ten. Uh, if I was to ask you for a Bible verse defining the gospel, where would you go? What about Romans chapter one verse sixteen? Let's good, turn good, there. Good, good verse. Romans one sixteen. Let's go there. Uh, what if, re, why don't you read that one for us there, Joel? All right, so it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay, so what is the gospel defined as in this passage? It's the gospel of Christ. Yes, and gospel, of course, for those who might, might not be familiar with uh Christianese, we're speaking Christianese here this morning, um, is simply a word that means good news. Mm. So the good news of Christ. Okay, in this passage here, the good news of Christ that produces or gives or makes available something important to us. What's that? Salvation. Salvation, indeed. 
well done. Um, we have um, the good news of salvation. And without the good news of salvation, does Christianity exist? No, it doesn't, does it? It just simply, it's just not even there. Mm. Okay, so this is foundational. So if we're going to put things on a scale, we're going to put the gospel at number 10. Any other verses that sort of immediately come in your mind in relationship to the gospel? Sort of important ones maybe. Probably Ephesians chapter 2. Okay. And verses 8 and 9. Yep. What do you got for us there? So it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so this is a verse that really talks about how the gospel works, how the gospel saves us, and places grace Mm -hmm. at the center of that. Okay, so when we talk about the gospel, there is no Christianity without the gospel. The message of the Bible from one end to the other is the message of the gospel. This is what the Bible is all about, and it is absolutely top of the list as far as messages that are critical for us. All right, now we've laid that foundation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14, and let's see what Revelation 14 says about the gospel. So Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 6. And this one, what, what this is going to do is really going to, um, I guess, highlight the, um, the importance of what we're going to be talking about here today. So Revelation 14 verse 6, if you could read that one for us, please do well. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Okay, so this particular angel here, what does he have? The everlasting gospel. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to preach that or share it with everyone. Every single person on the planet. So every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Now, Jesus, of course, prophesied about this event back in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. So Jesus prophesied it. John sees it happening. Jesus said, you know, when this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. That's the prophecy that Jesus makes. John then sees Jesus' prophecy in fulfillment. He sees it happen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so when John sees the fulfillment of this prophecy, he adds some extra information. If we were just working from Matthew 24, verse 14, when this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations, then shall the end come. If we just had that, we would probably define the gospel using verses like Romans 1.16, mm-hmm. the power of God to salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the grace of God for salvation. So the power of God is the grace of God that saves us, and we would say this is what Jesus is talking about. However, because John sees the fulfillment of it, we're actually given the end-time gospel. It's called the everlasting gospel. Uh, we are given that everlasting gospel in a more defined way. So in other words, Jesus sees the gospel go to the whole world just before the return of Christ. So Jesus prophesies the gospel going to the whole world just before before his return. John sees it happen. 
defines it for us and therefore we know what is the end time message, the last message that is to go to our world. And if it's called the gospel, then that's kind of number one, number 10 as importance, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, we've already, we've already talked about that. Okay, so uh, let's review very quickly. Revelation 14, verse 6, I saw another angel fly in the middle of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to everyone that lives on the earth. And what's the last word of that verse? People. Uh, let's go, go back a couple of words before that. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Okay, let me just read it from my trend. Oh, I'm not looking for the last word of that verse. I'm looking for the first word of the next verse. What okay. am I saying? First word of the next verse. So verse 7, saying with a loud voice. Ah, saying. So what does the angel have? A message. Yes. Everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. What's he going to do with it? Tell the whole world. And so he has the everlasting gospel. He's going to tell the whole world. The next word is the word saying. In other words, here comes the everlasting gospel. Hmm. So the words that are about to come out of his mouth right now, where are we going to put those on a scale of importance? Ten. They're going to go as a 10, aren't they? Yeah. They are definitely going to go as a 10. We're going to move down through the uh, the first couple of them fairly quickly because our Bible study today uh, focuses more towards the end of what these angels have to say. All right, so saying with a loud voice, here comes the everlasting gospel. Go for it, Joel. So verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Okay. I'm just going to summarize this real quick. When the Bible says fear God, it does not mean to be scared of God. Are you scared of God, Joel? No. Why not? Because I don't have to be his love. Because we see in the Bible that his character is not one to be feared. Absolutely. Why does the Bible say fear God then, do you think? This is a tough one, isn't it's it? It's more about respect exactly. and honor. Exactly. This is old English. It simply means respect and honor. And if you respect and honor someone, then you want to do what they ask you to do. In other mm. words, you know, the Bible says Job was somebody who feared God. He respected and honored God. Therefore, he, had, he, he, he uh, fled from evil, wouldn't have anything to do with evil, hated you know, you just want to live a righteous life. It's like, because I respect and I honor God, I want to live as righteous a life as God is, you know, able to live within me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, very much we have, you know, just right there, righteousness by faith coming through. Uh, continues on. Give glory to him. How do you give glory to God, Joel? Oh, that's a good one. Some thoughts on that. How do other people see the glory of God? Because giving glory to God is revealing God's glory. How do you reveal God's glory to other people? Probably by showing his character. By the way you live, right? Yeah. By your lifestyle. Absolutely. When people look at Joel, they say, okay, Joel does not live according to a worldly standard. Joel lives to a different standard. I wonder what standard that is. Oh, she's a Christian. Okay, this is what God looks like. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we bring our human frailty to it. But that's how we give glory to God. It's in our lifestyle. So we have righteousness by faith. We have Christian living, a Christian lifestyle. Then the Bible says the hour of God's judgment has come. When did God's judgment begin? 
four, right? So the judgment has come. It's present tense. It's happening right now. And then it finishes off, um, worship him that made heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. That's a quote, a quote from the Ten Commandments, and that's a quote from the Fourth Commandment. Which one's the Fourth Commandment? About the Sabbath. That's the Sabbath, absolutely. All right, so you've got a message here that encompasses a whole bunch of different things. This is the everlasting gospel. This is the message that goes to the world just before the return of Christ. And uh, the Bible says, um, the Bible talks about you know, fearing God, righteous by faith, giving glory to Him, Christian living, the fact that the judgment has become, and then highlights the issue of the Sabbath. It then goes on in the next verse. Can you read the next one for us, please, Joel? So verse 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so then it continues on to talk about Babylon. And now we start to get into an area where people start to ask questions. And sometimes I wonder why is it that people ask questions? Because when I talk about righteousness by faith and holy living, people are like, yeah, that's the everlasting gospel. But when I talk about the judgment and the Sabbath and Babylon, people say, well, is that really the everlasting gospel or is that doctrine? Well, the Bible says it's the everlasting gospel. In fact, you can't separate doctrine from the everlasting gospel because doctrine simply is a word that means teaching. And the moment you teach the gospel, you are teaching doctrine. The moment you teach anything from the Bible, that's doctrine. Yeah. And then we come to this next verse, and this is the one that we have been working towards. Uh, Joel, can you read for us verse 9 and 10, please? And for all of our listeners, I want you to listen to this one very, very closely. This is serious stuff. All right, verse 9 and 10, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Right. That's pretty strong language. It is indeed. Have you ever found anywhere else in the Bible where wrath is poured out undiluted? No. Does that sound like good news? Not at all. It doesn't, does it? It's like, wow, (laughs) what on earth is happening here? And yet it's described as the everlasting gospel. Interesting. It is, it is. Okay, all right. Two things right here. From what we've looked at so far, where do we place the gospel again? In 1 to 10? 10. Okay. So that then would indicate that understanding who the beast is, who the mark of the beast is, who the image of the beast is, is 10. Absolutely. All right. Let's look at it from another perspective. And let's ask ourselves the question, how important is it to understand these details in the Bible. The Bible says, and this is the only place that it says this, that wrath is going to be poured out undiluted on those who worship the Antichrist, Hmm. receive his mark, etc. If God gives a warning like that, 
Do you where, whereabouts on the scale of one to ten would you place a warning like that? Still a ten. I'd still leave that one as a ten, right? And this is one of the things that disappoints me when people say, oh, you know, the book of Revelation, we don't need to spend time in the book of Revelation. It's all very symbolic and nobody really understands it. And it's a sealed book and we can't understand it anyway. And they make excuses to avoid a message that God has used the strongest language possible to describe this message as being a ten. He's given it the title, The Everlasting Gospel. That immediately gives it a ten. And then he's spoken about undiluted wrath for those who don't follow it. Once again, that raises it to a 10. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We've been talking talking about the importance of understanding prophecy and end-time events and eschatology. And we have been looking at the three angels' messages, which are described as the everlasting gospel. The moment that God attaches the word gospel to a message, he has raised it in the level of importance to a 10. Not only that, but we have um, we have noted that within this passage, the only passage in the Bible that God says he's going to pour out undiluted wrath, and that kind of pretty much raises it to a 10 as well, doesn't it, Joel? It does. Okay, so is God going to give us a prophecy like this? And he's going to say, okay, this is the everlasting gospel. And it's a warning, and warnings are good news. I like warnings. Uh, have you ever been driving down the road and somebody's come the other direction and flashed their lights at you? Yeah. And what did you find a little bit further down the road? Did you? Or were they just waving because they were friends, or did, was there a policeman, or was there an accident, or? Yeah, no, something happened, so it was a warning for me of what was still to come. And were you thankful you had that warning? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love when people... Actually, I think that's probably... Um, I probably should be careful. I think you're not supposed to flash your lights. But anyway, um, I love it when I get a good warning. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it catches my attention. It says you need to be alert. You need to be maybe a little bit more alert than what you were before. Mm. And, uh, and, and so warnings are great. All right. And this is what is right here. Would God give us a warning like this, give us the strongest language imaginable in that warning, and then never tell us who the Antichrist is? No, he wouldn't. That makes no sense at all, does it? No. In fact, if God did that, we would say that God was just pretty cruel. Mm. He's just playing jokes on human beings. And so this is what you're going to find is that when God gives us these warnings, he then steps in. And this is one of the things that frustrates me. I don't know about you, Joel, but I've seen this amongst Christianity. You ask the average Christian on the street, what's the gospel? And they say, power of God to salvation. Ask them, what's the, rev- ev- revel- what's the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14? No idea. Hmm. Who's the Antichrist? Well, you know, it could be, and it seems that you know such and such indications might lead us to believe that and you get so many ifs, buts, mm-hmm. and maybes, and that just terrifies me. We have a message here that is of such incredible importance that God, you know, highlights it for us and places that as a 10, and 99% of Christians have never studied it. That tells me that Satan's been very successful. Uh, Joel, Reve- uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, if you could read that one for us, please. Sure, Matthew 
you 20 full vest 20 full and it says therefore no sorry for false christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect what time period is it talking about here I think this is the end of time. That's the end of time. Mm. So actually, while you're there, why don't you read for me verse 5 and 6? So still in chapter 24 and then verses 5 and 6, it says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Okay, so we are warned there again about... Um, deceptions again. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So Jesus here is speaking about the end of time. And in this process of about 12 verses, I think it is, he has warned us four times about deception at the end of time. Hmm. Now, this is what I find fascinating. If you go back, like right now, I guarantee that 99% of Christians couldn't give you a straight answer on who the Antichrist is. Uh, if I was to go back 100 years, uh, you would have at least 50% of Christians who would be able to give you a straight answer of who the Antichrist is. Go back 400 years and every evangelical Christian could give you a straight answer on who the Antichrist is. Does that seem strange to you? Yeah, very. Does that seem to indicate that, you know what, maybe... Um, we have lost something here. Yeah. And maybe the prophecy of Jesus when he says there's going to be a massive amount of deceptions and false preachers teaching all kinds of false stuff mm -hmm. at the end of time, maybe that prophecy is being, being fulfilled. Definitely. Okay, so why is it that this knowledge that we have had for centuries has been lost? And this really comes back to where we started with this week's class, lesson. Bible study, whatever you want to call it. And that comes back to a historical understanding of prophecy. Mm -hmm. People who have a historical understanding of prophecy or the historical or historicism method universally will be able to tell you exactly who the Antichrist is. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. Revelation 14, yeah, piece of cake. We know exactly who that is. Problem solved, move on. People who follow a futurism method of interpreting end-time prophecy will say, we have no idea who the Antichrist is. That's impossible to know because the Antichrist isn't here yet. Mm. Well, that's not going to help anyone right now. And this is one of the points that a lot of people miss when they read Revelation because Revelation is focused on the end of time. They assume that it is for the end of time. But when Revelation was given in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed is he who reads and understands. Hmm. Now that passage was just as relevant in John's day as it was in as it is in our day. And so people were to read it and understand in John's day in the same place, same way as we are supposed to read it and understand understand it in our day. Okay. So we have here the prophecy in relationship to the Antichrist. And this is something else that comes out in the Bible study is that historicism is going to reveal to you exactly who it is. Preterism, they're going to be like, well, it might, it might have been Nero. Or it might have been you know this Roman or that Roman or the other Roman. And they'll always put it amongst the Romans there somewhere. Mm 
and there'd be lots of speculation. Futurists would say, we don't need to worry about it, we don't need to know about it, because we won't even be here when it happens. So why would you study the book of Revelation if you're not planning to be here when Revelation is fulfilled? Historicism says the Antichrist has been here in the past, the Antichrist is here in the present, and the Antichrist will be here in the future. And the Antichrist is living right under our nose. The Antichrist is hiding in plain sight. The Antichrist is not the bad guy. The Antichrist is the good guy who's doing a lot to make the world a better place because, let's face it, Satan is not going to deceive people, deceive the whole world with a psychopath. Yeah. You know, have you noticed, Joel, how that uh, every time a, a new, you know, kind of globalist psychopath comes along, he gets labelled as being the Antichrist? Yeah. You know, and we, we think in recent times, I mean, has there, has there ever been an American president in the last 40 years that there hasn't been preachers out there preaching that this guy is the Antichrist? You know, doesn't matter which side. Obama was the Antichrist. Trump is the Antichrist. Bush was the Antichrist. Clinton, definitely Clinton, you know. Reagan, you know, he's making a, a political alliances with churches, so he's obviously the Antichrist, you know. And what we always do, you know, and, and, and Osama bin Laden or, or uh, Saddam Hussein, whoever, we just always label the next bad person. No, we're looking in the wrong place. We need to read, read our Bibles. We need to understand our Bibles and understand exactly who the Antichrist is. If you've got questions on it, do my prophetic code course. 